As we stand, let's bow our heads. Lord, we thank you for the confidence we can have that you will never forsake us. And we pray that in the strength of that confidence, you would send us out into the world around. For the sake of Jesus, our Lord. Amen. Well, do please uh, take a seat and turn to Colossians. Uh, It starts on page 1182. And we'll begin with a quick flick through, because we've come to the end. The last few weeks especially, the focus has been on other things, on Easter or the annual meeting. And so it's worth a quick reminder of how the letter has proceeded. Well, after the introductions, uh, Paul insists from uh, chapter 1 and verse 15 through to verse 23 on the place in the church's life of the Christ who is supreme over all creation, who is active in uh, creation and in redemption, and all riches are to be found in him. And then verse uh, 24 of chapter 1 through to verse 5 of chapter 2, his riches are to be found in all people. That is, in him, God has revealed his plan to bring salvation to all the peoples of the world. And then the rest of chapter 2. Your life in him, Colossians, your life is to be marked by thankfulness for a completed work. And because of that, you can be secure to reject uh, silly rules, abstract philosophies that enmesh you in extra effort. You don't need them. However, you do need chapter 3, to engage yourselves completely. Christ's work is a completed work, uh, but you are to be effortful, not in keeping rules and philosophies, but in the effort to act out Christ's supremacy within your own selves and then in your key relationships. Then last week, uh, verse 2 of chapter 4 through to verse 6, Be devoted to prayer and to the opportunities that life is going to bring you. Well, that's the sketch so far. And in this week, uh, Paul takes his leave of the Colossians. He is in prison, remember. So when he takes up the pen in verse uh, 18, it's not surprising that that he is brief. He is writing those words with a chain on his wrist. Not knowing his future, his tone is very tender at the end. Now, I'm not going to go through all the names. Uh, Tychicus has visited other congregations, we learn from other writings, and he's on his way back to the valley uh, in uh, what we would call Turkey, where um, uh, Colossi uh, sat. And he's going to bring with him uh, to Colossi this man, Onesimus. Onesimus is the slave of Philemon. He fled from Philemon as an unbeliever, uh, 
But while with Paul, he's turned to follow Christ, and now he's on his way back to Philemon, and he's going to get a separate letter of recommendation uh, to Philemon about him. We have that letter, it's in our Bibles. But we don't have the other letter that's talked about here, the Laodicean letter. Uh, that, uh, that church, Laodicea, uh, is just up the valley, uh, 20 miles or so from Colossae. But there was clearly a kind of traffic along the valley, and Paul expected that the letters would kind of be going both ways. The other names that are, are mentioned are Greeks and Jews. Notable among the Jews is Epaphras, as Jonathan's mentioned. He is himself a Colossian. He established the church in Colossae, and it's his special care uh, to be concerned for them. It's uh, not surprising, then, that uh, we hear he wrestles in prayer for them. Uh, Paul greets Archippus. He's also mentioned in, in the letter to Philemon. He's perhaps a church leader in the area. And he mentions Nympha, uh, a patron of the church. The church met in her house in Colossae. may not have been the whole church. It may have been part of the church. A few, a few house churches would have made a, a, a town-wide church. Uh, and it was one of the roles of women, uh, often played by women in the early church. They would have homes and welcome a Christian community into it. It's quite interesting how much effort uh, in the books, in the commentaries, there is sometimes to make that name a peculiarly odd uh, instance of a very odd case of a name that's actually male. Uh, And the effort to make her name masculine only suggests how hard some will work to deny ministry of all kinds uh, to women. It's important to say it is quite clearly a female. It was her house they met in. Well, there's lots of names, but what does it all have for us? Is it one of those where, well, we know, what, we know what this is. This is the end of one of Paul's letters. We know those are boring. We can switch off. Well, there isn't a great deal. But what there is matters. And the words I want to pick out for you this morning are the words faithful. It's there in verse 7 and uh, in verse 9 of Tychicus and of Onesimus. And firm. Uh, Epaphras is wrestling, verse 12, in prayer for them, that you may stand firm in all the will of God, mature and assured. Well, it's not much to go on, but it seems to me we can do a lot with it. When um, I was a young minister and things didn't work out in a church, there was always someone who was bound to pop up saying, well, we're not called to be successful, you know. We're called to be faithful. Uh, And I I learned uh, in my previous job a very good response that says, um, not successful, not just faithful, but fruitful. Uh, Faithful is such a dull word. We uh, assume so easily that being faithful is just boring, Uh, If I tell you that the end of Colossians, or at the end of Colossians, that you are to be devoted to Christ, to avoid false teachings, and to be faithful and firm, I know how that sounds. Golly, it sounds dull. 
the word firm has already occurred in our service this morning. Uh, we've had the wise man building his house upon the rock, and that man's house stood firm. The foolish man builds his house upon the sand and uh, discovers that the house falls flat. Now, we don't have to go too far from here to find quite a lot of sand. Uh, The reality is that lots of us could build our houses on sand, and mostly the houses would be just fine. Houses built on sand are just fine. Until the rain comes, they're just fine. What makes the difference between the sand and the rock as a foundation is the rain. Uh, We hear this idea of being faithful and firm, perhaps like the man building his house. He's built his house, he's sitting in it, he's looking comfortable, and ha! I'm not like that fool down the road building the house on sand. Oh, no, not me. But there's something around that sense of being solidly rooted to the spot, not moving unless you want to. Faithful and firm sounds worthy and safe. The essence of conservative, middle-class, middle-aged Christianity The very words sound like words to make us sit more securely and flatter in our seats. Look through Colossians, and the message can seem disturbingly just like that. Stick with Jesus. Don't be distracted. Stick with him. He's enough. Well, I can say that to you this morning, and my job is done. I doubt whether many of you are on the point of converting to Mormonism or Wicca. You are solid in your faith. That's a piece I want to to quote. You might say to me, well, uh, it's all very well saying the answer is Jesus, not rules and philosophy, but that doesn't tell me much about how to live my life. I'm not about to give up on Jesus. After all, that's why I'm here in church. And I want to say that that objection makes sense only if being faithful and firm is essentially about being passive. And I don't think it is. For 18 months, from 1860, uh, in North America, uh, there was a phenomenon called the Pony Express. Only ran for 18 months. Uh, They covered west, sorry, east to west of the states, particularly to bring in California, which was going through the gold rush, uh, 1,900 miles in 10 days. You could get a letter from one side of the states to the other, in only 10 days. It's 1,900 miles. Up and down the Rockies, across the flat plains. And their motto, famously, was the males must get through. Interestingly, the founders of the Pony Express were Christian. They could foresee what might happen to the riders along the way. And they insisted that the riders took an oath not to drink, uh, never to pick fights, and never to delay. 
The weather may be appalling. The Native Americans might shoot at them, but the males must get through. They were, in to- they were told, the horse might drop dead under you. You may be in peril of your life, but you have to see to it that you hand on the males because the males must get through. Faithful and firm are words that are better seen in the context of the Pony Express than that kind of dead passivity I've mentioned. Um, let me just ask, ask a question. Yeah, we've got time on this. Um, uh, has anyone... Oh, no. What's, what's the strongest wind that you've ever had to deal with? I'm looking at Rachel Leggett because I know she's had to deal with typhoons in Hong Kong. Um, but we'll ask uh, uh, others as well. Anyone ever been knocked over by the wind? Okay. You, you have to, you've had to hold on to a lamppost. And why was, was that? Because uh, it was, we were in Cape Town and the wind was blowing. Okay. Okay. Had to hold on to a lamppost. Go on. I've had my food blown out of my bowl. How? the wind. <laughs> Where? <laughs> on the North Sea. On the North Sea. Wonderful. <laughs> <laughs> Love it. Eugene. Uh, it actually happened here on the UK soil. So I was actually in Colchester, I think, and the wind was so strong that actually I was struggling to walk because it was like blowing straight against okay. me. Thank you. Yeah. We've watched a tornado in Texas practically flatten um, trees and things. Okay. Wow. Followed the path. Right. On. to hold on to a tent to try and stop it blowing away. Okay, so I, I, I suspect that's not unique. How many have had to hold on to a tent yeah, to stop it blowing? Yes, I've done to do that a few times. Um, the image that I think I want us to have in mind when we meet these words faithful and firm is of us leaning in to the wind, which is just hurtling at us, like Eugene said, hurtling at you, and you're just about able to stagger forward, despite everything the wind is throwing at you. This, this is faithful, this letter, when faithful lands you in chains. It's faithful and firm when firm means the courage of breaking all the social conventions. So there in chapter 3 and verse 11. Here there's no Greek or Jew, circumcised or uncircumcised, barbarian, Scythian, slave or free. Mixing that lot up in a church, that's firm. It's taking the wind of opposition that's hurtling at you and staying faithful and firm and dogged and going on when all that is your context. I was encouraged to hear um, that the London Men's Convention this year, which Sandra spoke when leading our singing, was focused on the resurrection. Because there is a danger that if we only focus on Christ on the cross, 
we, as it were, keep returning to the cross and saying, I did this, yes, okay, I'm sorry, I'm forgiven, and I go away. It can be passive. But if we remember the resurrected Christ, then he is the one who gives us our marching orders. Go and make disciples. Get up. Head into that mighty wind of worldly opposition. The rain lashing down of circumstances that would wipe you out if your house is built on sand. And because you are faithful and firm, make progress against it, wrestle in prayer, make the most of the opportunities, answer everyone, proclaim Christ. It's not faithful and firm sitting still, but faithful and firm in movement when everything is running against you. And that's the question I simply have to ask at the end of the series. Are you moving or are you sitting still? The question it leaves me with is this. If I were really faithful and firm, that is firm, putting my trust in Jesus and nothing else, not giving in to a trust uh, in money, position, status or education. If I were firm and not distracted by the regular challenges of life's stresses, its illnesses, frustrations, busynesses, what would I be like? Is there anything we would not do if we were faithful and firm? Is there a challenge we would not accept, a burden we wouldn't bear, a venture we would not undertake, a risk we would not be glad to run if the absolute foundations of life were truly established in faithfulness and firmness? It doesn't have to be extraordinary. Remember a couple of weeks ago, looking at those human relationships, the power of ordinary sees to that. At the end of chapter 3, where the most ordinary of relationships are included. But if I were faithful and firm in Jesus, in the ordinary, wouldn't the ordinary become powerful? And that's all there is to it. Are you moving? You're on your pony, delivering the mails, getting the message across. I'm a Native American. I've got my arrow out Are you worth shooting? Let's pray. Lord, make us faithful and firm in following Jesus, in movement, not merely in sitting still. Amen.